Okay, welcome to a Bible study on the pastoral letters. And essentially what I'm going to cover in here are the following things, the five faithful sayings that are mentioned in uh, throughout the three pastoral letters, uh, the Christ hymn at 1 Timothy 3, 16, uh, the imperative the imperatives in the letters, that is, the commands, uh, and then the emphasis on correct teaching. Uh, number four on here is what I will do primarily. So uh, again, we're dealing with uh, the pastoral letters and some things that span these three letters. The pastoral letters were those written by the Apostle Paul to pastors, to two pastors, three letters to two pastors, two to Timothy, one to Titus. So, and in fact, uh, actually, the chronology of these letters is First um, uh, Timothy, Titus, and then Second Timothy being the last letter uh, Paul wrote that uh, was inspired and made it into the canon. Uh, at any rate, again, uh, we're going to view these four things, the five faithful sayings, the Christ hymn, the imperatives, the emphasis on correct teaching. Most of my time uh, in this episode will focus on number four as we find the term teaching or it's translated sometimes in the English doctrine or teachings or in the noun form, teachers or a teacher or you teach uh, and so forth and so on. We'll look at that in uh, detail in a more advanced uh, uh, detail, I guess you would say. The first three are going to be a bit of a survey. Uh, so uh, let's get on with that then. So we're looking at the structure and message. And what we're going to do is look at how the message of the pastorals is uh, given through emphasis on correct teaching, which is a primary emphasis uh, for the apostle, as we'll see. Okay, the five faithful sayings, you find those, first of all, in 1 Timothy uh, 1, uh, verse 15. Uh, these are referred to in different things. Uh, pistos ha logos is, is going to be the Greek phrase, a faithful, the word, or the word is faithful, a trustworthy statement, um, a, a worthy statement, or uh, it's it's translated uh, differently um, in your versions between the King James and a new modern version. Uh, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, 1 Timothy 15. I remember the King James says, I think, I think says, uh, worthy of all acceptation or something like that. But anyway, <clears throat> it's a faithful saying. Uh, what is the faithful saying? Well, it is that Christ Jesus um, came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost, Paul adds. So the faithful saying is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, this could have been part of some sort of uh, early uh, creedal material, uh, possibly, maybe even prob probably. But at any rate, we do have throughout Paul's letters, especially uh, these little um, memorable doctrinal uh, sayings to, to help you remember a, a doctrine. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Okay, so it's a, a, the, fa a, the saying is faithful or it's a faithful saying or a trustworthy statement. Christ came, uh, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Now, there's a, a couple of these faithful sayings of the Apostle Paul that it's a little hard to understand, to decipher or discern. Is he speaking um, uh, anaphorically or cataphorically? Uh, there's the phrase that came before this phrase, uh, apostas uh, halagos, or uh, faithful is the word. 
is it the phrase before that or the phrase after that? And one or two of these, it's it's hard to uh, discern. It could be either. Uh, could uh, could be ambiguous on purpose. Uh, maybe uh, it could be either, and either will work. Uh, but here, it probably is not the phrase before it. Before because First Timothy one fifteen, um, uh, because I acted ignorantly, unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. But see, that's something uh, more specific to Paul. Uh, specifically uh, for his own experience and relationship. But uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners uh, would be more applicable to everyone. So that's one of your faithful, uh, one of the five faithful sayings. Uh, the next one is Second Timothy. Uh, next one I have listed is Second Timothy uh, 2.11. I'm sorry. Uh, it's here on the screen. First Timothy 3.1. My apologies. First Timothy three one, it is a trustworthy statement. Now this definitely goes to what follows it. Uh, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, is the fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, uh, skillful in teaching. I like that rendering uh, in the NASB twenty twenty update. Skillful in teaching, uh, the overseer, uh, the pastor, the leader of the church. Now uh, he is giving he is given uh, three uh, uh, different terms in the New Testament that uh, refer to uh, his roles or his functions or his responsibilities. Uh, Poimain, pastor, he's responsible to keep error, uh, you know, the wolf, the false teaching error out of the flock. He's responsible on the positive note to feed the sheep, feed Christ's sheep, uh, God's word. So Poimain or pastor or shepherd translated poimain is translated shepherd or pastor that refers to those two responsibilities of the pastor uh episcopos i'm sorry presbyteros the elder refers to the man's wisdom and probably his age at least uh you know uh, 30 years of age you had to be 30 years of age to be a uh function as a certain priest in the old testament and so forth so uh, presbyteros refers to the man's age so, somewhat, but definitely his wisdom. Uh, and then uh, episkopos, it's translated here, bishop or uh, overseer. Uh, so this is uh, his administrative capabilities and also his characteristics or his uh, uh, qualities or qualifications specifically are mentioned out here. Uh, he's got to be above reproach, the husband of one wife. So the overseer, the leader of the church, the pastor, uh, has to be a husband of one wife, okay, a one-woman kind of man, which, uh, you know, necessarily involves he has to be of the male gender, of course, to be the pastor, the overseer, uh, the elder, the, the shepherd, okay. And so um, it's a trustworthy statement. If he aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work. This is a fine work, uh, but there are qualifications for it, okay. And then the next um, faithful saying is in chapter 4, verse 10, 1 Timothy 4, 10. It is for this we labor and, labor and strive because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all mankind, especially of believers. I'm sorry, back in verse 9, it's a trustworthy statement um, deserving full acceptance. So uh, 1 Timothy 4, 9 could go uh, with what comes after it. 
Uh, we fixed our hope on the living God, who's the Savior of all men. Or it could go with the saying before that, godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. So that would also be uh, some uh, uh, what could probably be seen as creedal materials, uh, memorable material uh, to memorize this particular doctrine that holds through true for the church age. So there the faithful saying could be the verse before it or the phrase after it. Um, and either one uh, will work, and uh, both certainly are true. Uh, all right, so that's three down, two to go. Uh, Second Timothy then. So three of them are in First Timothy. Three of the faithful sayings are in First Timothy. Second Timothy is where our fourth one is, and that's chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the statement is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay. And again, this would not go uh, with the one before it because it's uh, talking about Paul's enduring the persecution and imprisonment and so forth. That would apply just to him uh, by and large. But the next uh, is obviously... The next two or three verses are obviously uh, faithful sayings, okay? Faithful sayings. All right. Um, and then in Titus, you have uh, t the last one is in Titus uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 8. This statement is trustworthy and concerning these things. I want to speak uh, confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Uh, so, uh, so it's that, or it could be the verse before it, right? So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, uh, either one of those could work. Uh, interesting note here, though, is that all five of these faithful sayings are uh, deal uh, with the following uh, issue. They deal with the following topics. They can all seem to be dealing with salvation, leadership, hope, okay? Salvation, leadership, and hope. And uh, also, I wanted to bring to your attention one thing. I'll put it here on the screen, and I'll put these in the in a PDF below, but I've made out a chart. I'll give you an empty one, uh, but I've made out a chart. If you want to study along with, with my last section of this Bible study on this word teach or this... Uh, you know, the, the cognates for teaching uh, basically this stem or root for teach that is found in three pastoral letters. It, it just really conveys the message of the three letters through the use of that word. It's a tremendous study for you. So I'll give you an empty uh, uh, um, a blank chart like you see on the screen. I, I've, I've gone through here. This is really probably still a study in progress. We did this several years ago in um, a couple years ago. In Greek four, fourth semester Greek, as we study for, through, uh, we translated first or second Timothy. I forgot which one, but I started chasing this word, uh, the Greek word for, for teacher or to teach, the noun and the for, uh, verb form, chasing them around the three uh, letters. So I, I noticed uh, this issue throughout uh, that this letter, uh, this word is just mentioned throughout these letters. So. I have this chart uh, that I'll give you a blank one so you can put the word in there and then the phrase where it's found, what phrase is it 
located in within the verse? And then what does it say about teaching? Is it healthy teaching being called for? Or is it bad teaching being uh, condemned or warned against uh, in the noun uh, column teachers? What kind of teachers? And then comments where you will give your own uh, commentary on there. And I've done that. So don't copy mine. Just come up with your own. Uh, and that'll uh, that'll be good for you. Okay. All right. Let's go back to um, PowerPoint then. Second thing I want to look at is the Christ hymn, the Christ hymn in 1 Timothy 3.16. In this verse, your modern Bible version might have it set off in indented uh, or set off in some way in, in the rest of the ver the English verse. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, beyond question, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And uh, you can study these out for yourself. They really have a lot to do with uh, the life of Christ, the incarnation, the ascension, so it is a Christ hymn. It is a hymn about Christ. And remember, remember that one of the early Christian uh, writers or uh, or historian, uh, he may not have even been a Christian, may have been the secular historian I'm thinking about. I think it was Pliny the Younger, but at any rate, I could be wrong on that. But he uh, uh, visited one of these church services in the first century, first or early second century, and he says, they sing hymns to Christ as to a God. Well, go figure, right? Because they uh, knew Christ to be God. And uh, here is one of those Christ hymns that just encapsulates the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's it's set out here actually uh, in, in the language and poetic form. You can actually see uh, the rhyme and rhythm here. Ephana Rothe, he was revealed. Eris passive ends with the theta eta. Um, uh, revealed in the flesh, uh, justified in spirit, heirs passive, uh, edikaiothe, uh, othe angelois, he was seen, ends with that same sound, uh, ekeruthe, preached or proclaimed among, so ends with the same sound, and epistuthe also ends with the same sound. Five verbs, all in the same tense and voice, uh, referring to Christ. So this is really cool. Uh, I'm sorry, I missed one, the last one. Uh, on a length fade. Missed that one, sorry. So six uh, verbs all ending with the same tense and voice referring to Christ. Now, uh, my mentor, David Allen Black, uh, as he translated part of the um, I ISV, International Standard Version of the Bible, he kept the poetic form. He's actually written an essay published somewhere in the New Testament journal somewhere I forget which one but um, about the poetry in the in the uh, uh, in the uh, ISV and and how and why he kept the poetry as he found it in the Greek language so what he did with he who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit seen by angels proclaimed among the nations he kept the rhyme uh, there uh, so here's what he did in flesh was he revealed to sight kept righteous by the spirit's might adored by angels singing. To nations was he manifest, believing souls found peace and rest, our Lord in heaven reigning. In flesh was he revealed to sight, kept righteous by the Spirit's might, adored by angels singing. To nations was he manifest, believing souls found peace and rest, our Lord in heaven reigning. Man, that's so good. So uh, that's what you uh, have in 1 Timothy 3.16. Now, next, 
I want to deal with the imperative uh, mood uh, verbs. And what I did here, and this chart is uh, old. Actually, I used uh, Bible work software years ago, uh, studying through for something on this. And, and what I have here next are bar graphs uh, that I made using uh, simply searching for the imperative mood in the Greek language. I think you can do that probably in the newfangled Logos software or other, maybe accordance. I'm not sure. I used Bible works. I still use uh, Bible works, uh, uh, though the program has gone defunct. I still keep it in, uh, on an old laptop because I know how to use the search uh, functions uh, still and haven't learned on some of the newer software to be as proficient. So anyway, the imperatives. Now, you see in the screen here uh, simply that um, uh, you see in the screen here. Simply what I've done is um, <clears throat> made the bar graph give me uh, by a chapter in 1 Timothy, all the imperatives. So you see in 1 Timothy 2, there's one imperative. In 1 Timothy 3, there's three imperatives. In 1 Timothy 4, 12 imperatives. In 1 Timothy 5, 18 imperatives. 1 Timothy 6, 11 imperatives. So the commands are clustered there at the end. In the second half, that's in classic Pauline fashion, actually, where he gives the orthodoxy in the first few chapters and then the orthopraxy in the last few, right? The theology uh, loaded at the front end, though not only found there, uh, and then the uh, how to conduct your life based on those truth claims of Christianity, those truths about God, Christ, and the Bible, how you live your life uh, based on that. So this is this is just classic Pauline uh, uh, uh theology and writing. Now, 2 Timothy, there's actually a lot more in chapter 2, uh, but at chapter 4, again, you have the vast majority there at the end. Titus, the same thing, uh, Titus 2 and 3, so that it gets longer and longer, so that you have seven imperatives, seven commands in the last chapter. Uh, just for good measure, look at Romans Again, you, you will see that uh, the commands are clustered toward the end, really chapter 12 and following. Um, and then Galatians, you see they're clustered at the end for sure, chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, Ephesians, same thing. And Colossians, pretty much the same thing. So anyway, just showing you the imperatives, back to 1 Timothy again. Uh, have that uh, going on, okay? All right. Next, we will look at uh, the emphasis on correct teaching. The emphasis on correct teaching. So, listen carefully. What I've done here, uh, what I've done here again is I've gone through. Uh, I started with the Greek text, and I've gone through whether it was a compound, a compound word, a noun or verb or what have you. I've gone through to find the uh, didasco, uh, the the uh, root or stem didask to teach. Okay, and I traced that all through the three pastoral letters. So I've actually highlighted those in my text. So back to First Timothy three, and I just want you to settle in. We're going to do some Bible study here. Let's think through these things together. Um, First Timothy one. Verse three, uh, heterodidascalane, not uh, may heterodidascalane, not 
the uh, um, false teachers, okay, or however it's uh, worded in the English, uh, to not teach strange doctrine. I'm sorry, it it is a it is a uh, a verb, not to teach, instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines, strange doctrines. Okay, um, now a couple of things here. That's a compound word, hetera didaskalane. Okay, heteros, other or another, didasko to teach, not to teach strange other doctrines. Paul had already nailed this issue, right, in Galatians 1. Uh, first couple chapters there is really nailing, hey, don't preach another gospel other than what we, the apostles, have preached to you. So there's that issue. Uh, they are not to teach strange doctrines. I've actually highlighted this also in my English Bible, not to teach strange doctrines, strange doctrines. Well, if they're strange doctrines, that means there has to be correct or or uh, healthy or good doctrine. And so uh, there there is a contrast here. Also, um, uh, the context here is... Um, Paul wants Timothy to remain on it at Ephesus so you will instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrine nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to useless speculation rather than advance the plan of God, which is by faith, so I urge you now. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, good conscience, a sincere faith. Some have strayed away from these things. Okay, So he's warning them about false doctrines. Stay away from it. Okay, that's basically the main thing there. Another thing I want you to understand as we study through these is doctrine and teaching translate the same Greek word in your English Bible. So doctrine and teaching really mean the same thing, or they can mean the same thing. They usually mean the same thing. So whether you have an older Bible version and you like the word doctrine and then you some your friend or you're using a newer newfangled Bible version and it says teaching and you think, Oh, doctrine, this is, you know, this is watered down, the word doctrine. No, no doctrine is just an old-fashioned word. That means, guess what? Teaching. So doctrine and teaching, absolutely synonymous for what we're looking at here. Don't teach strange teachings. Don't teach strange doctrines. Same, same concept, same word, actually. So just be, be aware that that is the case. And then the next one actually is found, if you keep reading, these are teachers of the law. Some uh, Verse 6, some people have strayed from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, wanting to be teachers of the law. All right. So they're wanting to be teachers of the law. Again, nama uh, didaskalos, that's another compound word, law teachers. Okay. Law teachers, if you will. These are uh, people who taught uh, the Mosaic law. Um, he says, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing that it's not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. Right. And that's actually what Paul will do later. Is it not when he says in, uh, he says that, um, uh, the, the law was a schoolmaster or tutor to lead us to Christ. They're not something that you say, oh, I can keep those things. No, it's it's for the laws in the Old Testament 
were given so that you realize that you actually are unable to keep those. You are incapable of keeping all the laws of God and to keep them perfectly. You can't keep them all, number one. You can't keep them perfectly, number two. Uh, and number three, I might add, to think that you can demonstrates the sin of pride that you have in your heart. So you've already failed at one point. And James will come in and say, if you fail in one point, you're guilty of all. You cannot keep the laws of God. Someone who is absolutely and perfectly righteous kept the law for us in our place. And that was Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, God the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and him alone. So um, these teachers of the law, whoever they were, they were teaching uh, wrong things about uh the law. And then he says in verse 10, he goes on to describe about this law that uh, uh, it was given for people who are sexually immoral, homosexuals, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. He also mentioned rebellious, ungodly sinners, unholy, and worldly, those who kill fathers and mothers, murderers. Okay, list a whole list of uh, things here, a vice list, if you will. But whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted, sound teaching. So here is, um, uh, that's chapter one, verse 10, is our third uh, iteration of the word uh, teaching or a variation of the word to teach. Sound teaching, okay? Uh, this word, um, actually, Hugiainu uh, say this uh, word means whole, Healthy, sound, healthy teaching, uh, whole. So listen, if there is a teaching that has an adjective whole before it in God's word, there's the word teaching that has the adjective whole or healthy, then I would infer that there is a teaching that God considers in his word. There is a teaching out there, which God considers to be unhealthy teaching, and the antithesis of whole would be broken, <laughs> empty, right? Uh, Jeremiah will say something like uh, empty cisterns or cracked ones that leak out the bottom, right? Uh, so this is sound teaching that the Apostle Paul is after uh, that Timothy be concerned about in the churches, okay? And then Chapter 2, verse 7 is our next one, um, teacher of the Gentiles. Paul said he was a teacher of the Gentiles, okay? Uh, that is, then we might say he was to teach all people, share God's word with everyone, right? To the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, and everyone you meet, and any kind of person, teach God's word to them, okay? And then um, the next one is uh, verse 12 uh, here, chapter 2, verse 12. And he says, uh, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And this is in the context of the church. And evidently they were having problems uh, in this area. And Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority. In fact, uh, he goes back to the created order to demonstrate why uh, God had lined out for a man to be the leader, both of the home 
and of the church uh, spiritual leader. Uh, but also then he goes on, you know, you can just erase that big number three there. There, These chapter divisions are artificial. He just he goes on to talk about the qualifications for a leader, a husband of one wife. So um, it's just not the role that God has given for women here. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Then he gives the qualifications, specific qualifications for uh, a pastor. So you have that there in the Bible. And the word of God, don't uh, try to toss it out or get rid of it. It's there and it's clear. Chapter 3, verse 2, um, skillful in teaching, a hospitable. Well, he, he, he mentions these um, uh, qualifications for a pastor and skillful in teaching. I think the old King James says apt, apt to teach. Uh, the pastor needs to be able to teach. The pastor needs to be able to teach. Now, we've got a lot of problems in the Christian church, especially in the West, especially here in the States. I would venture to guess it's the case in Christian churches around the world, but you still have a lot of pastors think they're pastors. They just show up to preach on Sunday morning uh, and never uh, have interaction with their flock and their sick uh, sheep uh, and herding sheep during the week. They just show up to preach. That's a problem. And then they show up uh, to um, give a motivational speech. That's a problem. Uh, and then uh, they show up or they show up perhaps to uh, preach a social gospel. That's the problem. You, if you're preaching a social gospel, you're not teaching the Bible because social gospel is not the biblical gospel, period. <clears throat> Skillful in teaching. Now, let me go another direction with this. That means skillful in teaching okay um pastors of christian churches ought to be trained as best they can get formally trained to minister uh, god's word to the churches today there's no excuse for that um and my analogy i always give is hey you go to a medical doctor who's had 12 years of training to get your physical body fixed why on earth would you not go to sp the spiritual doctor, if you will? Why, why would you not go to the church where the pastor is well-trained to take care of your spiritual needs? Because your spiritual health and well-being are far more important than your physical well-being. And if for nothing else, because your spiritual health and well-being affects your eternity. You know, the physical life is um, temporal, it's temporary. So anyway... And I may have given my analogy a little bit uh, discombobulated there. I knew what I was saying anyway. What I am saying is that pastors ought to be trained in theology, in uh, culture, in uh, hermeneutics, uh, church history, background, the languages, uh, interpretation, uh, homiletics, philosophy, apologetics, all these things. A pastor ought to be trained. He ought to have as much training as he can get so that he can indeed without uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt be skillful in teaching God's word God's word right it's like uh, John MacArthur came to the seminary I attended back in 2002 
and uh, he preached in chapel for three days. And one of the things he said, and that's been 20 years ago now, it's still in my mind. Uh, I remember he said, um, we have no right to say God said something God did not say. So you uh, think about that. And uh, for that and other reasons, I think it's critically important, extremely important, vitally important that Christian pastors be sure they are skillful in teaching God's word to God's people. Okay, chapter 4, uh, verse 2. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1 is your next one. He says, but Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, teachings of demons, teachings or doctrines that originate with demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars searing their own consciences with a branding iron who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So there's a couple of things mentioned there that uh, Paul uh, says are doctrines of demons. Evidently, there was a philosophy or a religiosity going on uh, in the area that Paul is aware of that had some false teaching about eating foods or some certain foods and also uh, about marriage. Uh, we have, you know, false teachings in America right now uh, about uh, marriage. Uh, and it's not a biblical message about marriage. So uh, these things are, are, are still around. Verse six, you have another one then. Let's see, that was ch chapter four, verse one. Uh, verse six and pointing out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ, constant Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the good doctrine. Uh, the edge there is kalos. This is a good doctrine. And so, again, that means there must be some bad doctrine out there. OK, it's not, it's not anything goes when you are preaching the Bible or preaching Christianity. Now, if you just want to be religious and talk about religion uh, because in most religions around the world today, you know, there's a lot of pluralism and um, uh, relativism. But no, there's good doctrine and there's bad doctrine. It, it just is. Uh, verse 11, uh, prescribe and teach these things. Now here, uh, the apostle gives uh, the apostle gives Timothy a command. Now let me pull up this PowerPoint. And notice these, notice these uh, 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 comments here. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. First Timothy 4, 6. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine of conforming to godliness. Chapter 6, verse 3. Then uh, uh, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he is he has a sick craving for controversial questions and disputes about words from which come envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Okay, so the point I'm bringing up and bringing these uh, three verses to you here is simply that to show that Paul is emphasizing correct doctrine. And here at verse 11 of chapter 4, it is a command, prescribe and teach these things. And then he goes on in verse uh, 
13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, uh, public reading, to exhortation and teaching, okay, and teaching, explaining God's Word, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word, uh, if need be. Explaining God's Word, the history, the background, which includes the uh, 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 the history of interpretation, the background, which includes um, uh, local history, uh, manners and customs, archaeology, and then the language, uh, whether it be the Greek or Hebrew or even Aramaic, uh, whether it be, you know, how things were translated by the Septuagint translators. Uh, what is the etymology of this word? You want to be careful there, but certainly in the context, it's going to be clear. Also, the literary uh, issues, the genre, and so forth. So uh, history, uh, uh, background, uh, the literary issue, and then also the theological. How does this align with other, uh, with the re- uh, fit in with the rest of theology in in the passage of scripture? So those are main and major and uh, irreducible minimums, really, for biblical interpretation, uh, literary historical and and, uh, theology, and and the other things I mentioned come under those three umbrellas, really, I think. Those are like three legs to a stool, if you will, probably. Um, Teach these things, public teaching, a public reading, exhortation, and teaching of God's Word. Uh, Verse 16, he's still still in this, uh, uh, in in, in, uh, giving this uh, bit of teaching here. Uh, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Okay, pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching. Be careful with your teaching. Okay, be careful with your teaching. It says so. We want to be careful uh, and be sure that we're doing that. Holding fast the faithful word, so that you'll be able to both exhort. In sound doctrine and refute those who contradict, Titus 9.1, uh, you must say things that are consistent with sound teaching, Titus 2.1, older men are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance, Titus 2.2. So these are just verses that uh, where I put up to mention the issue of, 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 of the importance of teaching uh, to the Apostle Paul and how that was to be important to uh, Timothy as well. All right, next is uh, chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Uh, Let those uh, elders who lead well be considered worthy of double honor, respect, and remuneration, but a double blessing of probably both of them, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, okay? The pastor who spends his time not playing computer games or playing golf or fiddle-faddling with silly stuff, but works hard, buckles down, studies the Scripture, gathers all these other resources, whether it be electronic books or books around him or some other avenue where he is studying and trying to come to grips with the passage of Scripture, and he labors in his study, you know, with the tools of studying God's Word so that you know, and of course, he leaves the sawdust behind so that when he brings the beautiful product, the crafted product out to God's people, they see truly this is what God has said clearly in this passage. This is what he meant by what he said. I need to respond to it. 
work hard at preaching and teaching. Again, we have no right to say God said something God did not say. And then uh, chapter 6 would be your uh, last few in 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 1, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Boom. Listen, our doctrine, the teaching of the apostles. Look at the verse again. Listen again. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Let's just put this in modern context because we don't do slaves, right? But most of us are employees. Some of us are employers. If so, Paul has something to say to you in Colossians 4 and uh, in uh, Ephesians, at, near the end of Ephesians, in those household codes at the end of Ephesians and the end of Colossians. Slave master in our context today would be the employer-employee relationship. So employees, when you go to do your job, you do it so that the name of God and our teaching will not be spoken against. In other words, you do your job, men and women. You do your work as unto the Lord, right? Colossians 3. And you do it uh, to make the doctrine and Christianity and the truths of Christ as attractive as you can by the way you operate. Okay, That's just enough said there. In verse 2, teach and preach these principles. Again, there is a command here. Teach and preach these principles. And then verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, so inter interestingly, he ends this book with heterodidaskalos, uh, heterodidaskale. He ends this book, chapter 6, verse 3, same compound word he began with, heterodidaskalane, hetero. Same compound word that was back in 1-3, don't teach strange doctrines. Back here at the end, at 6-3, it's given um, if anyone advocates a different doctrine. Okay, So he's really encapsulated the letter about strange teaching, false gospel, if you will. Okay, So be careful about it. And then he also gives another adjective, sound words. Sound words. In your uh, New American Standard, sound words. I'm sorry. Uh, it's at the end of, of verse 3. The doctrine conforming to godliness. The doctrine conforming to godliness. So the teaching in the Bible, the, the teaching, if the accurate, true teaching of the Bible is going to lead Christians to conform more and more to the image of Jesus Christ, conform to godliness, okay? It's not going to be something that leads you away from the holiness and godliness that we're called to be, right? Be holy even as your father is holy or perfect. So um, uh, uh, sound doctrine, godly doctrine is going to be that which leads us to conform more to uh, Christ. Second uh, Timothy, actually. Uh, chapter 1, verse 11, you have there... Um, you have there a noun uh, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher and a teacher. OK, 
Okay. And then uh, at verse 13, you have that word sound again, sound words. You have that adjective again, uh, healthy. Uh, that's what he's after. Chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, able to teach, entrust these truths, teach others who will be able to teach others also. Okay, chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 24, skillful in teaching. You have the, the word again, skillful in teaching. And I've already made comments on that. Chapter 3, uh, verse 10, now you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, sufferings. Okay, you follow my teaching. So he's commending Timothy for that. All scripture, verse 16, is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching. This is this word, uh, didaskalia, this same stem of this word, teach or teacher or whatever. Uh, then at chapter 4, verse 2, 3, twice in 3. So you have the word three times here in chapter 4. Um, uh, with great patience and teaching or instruction, actually, here at uh, verse 9, teaching or instruction, uh, did I K. A few words later, I'm sorry, chapter, yeah, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not in, not tolerate sound uh, teaching. They will not tolerate sound teaching, that same adjective, good, wholesome teaching. They will not toler tolerate it, but instead they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and that goes on a lot uh in the churches today uh and certainly in uh, christendom at large so um, and then uh over in titus chapter 1 verse 9 hold firmly uh the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he'll be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict so you have Healthy teaching, again, that adjective, uh, and uh, healthy teaching or healthy doctrine, and then teaching uh, the noun form, the teaching. And then verse uh, 10, there are some, uh, verse 11, there are some who must be silenced because they are teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. So need to be careful about that. So we're not to, we're not to tell people what they want to hear but what God tells you to tell them, what God's word teaches. And we want to also on the other side of that, be Christians who follow only those teachings that are squarely biblical. They're whole, they're wholesome, they're healthy, they sound, they're sound, they align with the truths of scripture rightly interpreted. I've mentioned some principles there. They are teachings of scripture that will lead to uh, holiness and godliness will lead one to be more and think more like uh, Jesus Christ. So those are things we need to be concerned about. Okay, chapter 2, but as for you, proclaim the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then down in verse 6, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. With purity in doctrine. Okay, your doctrine needs to be right. It needs to be uh, pure. Clean, it needs to be clean, undiluted, Christocentric word that you give people because that is what God's word is. It's clean, it's clear, it's undiluted, it is Christocentric. 
It is unified. It is an accurate, completely accurate, unified, absolutely unique, unified whole. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, the 66 books of the Protestant canon, this is God's revealed word to mankind. It stood the test of time, 2,000 years after it's completed. Look, Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. We still have God's word. Still have those 66 books with us that are changing lives, changing hearts, turning people around, turning nations around, governments around, cities around, communities around, turning churches around, turning families around, turning individual hearts around. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe, anyone who believes, right? It is the power of God. Okay, purity in doctrine, the clear, undiluted, Christocentric word of God. And then uh, adorn the doctrine, verse 10, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine. Present it clearly and passionately, but live it consistently. Have to do that as well. And finally, this grace of God that brings salvation, okay, uh, uh, instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, Titus 2, 11 and 12. Great passage there um, uh, where God's word instructs us on that note, not, not the same uh, root teaching word, but God's word teaches us the important stuff, basically. If you want to say it that way. Look, God is concerned that we follow the right teachings, the right doctrine. Biblical doctrine is vitally important. I'd like to read from uh, Kent Hughes and Brian Chappell's commentary on First and Second Timothy and Titus, page 29. It says, do you love God? Uh, they say, do you love God now? Will you love him less if you learn more about him? Absolutely not. You will love him more. The more you learn of his excellencies, his holiness, his grace, his mercy, his love, the greater will be your grasp of his character and the closer to him you will draw. The greatest need of the church today is not less doctrine, but more doctrine, more doctrine about God, about salvation, about ourselves, about character, about church, about family. Our greatest need is to know God better and we can learn more only from his word. That's right. Now, I've written in here words to an old hymn, more about Jesus would I know, more of his love to others show, more of his saving love to me, more of his love who died for me. I might have those last two stands a little bit off, but that's good stuff. So listen, the burden here of this study of 1 Timothy is look at the structure and the message. We've looked at the structure and how the message is given through through the structure, uh, by means of the structure, and really largely by means of this word teach or this word doctrine and its cognates, okay? Um, look, don't teach strange doctrines. Don't go to churches. Don't listen to religious preachers who teach false doctrine, right? Galatians 1 warns us about false gospel. First Timothy 2, verse 5, we're in the pastoral letters, uh, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There's no co-mediator between God and, and man. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. No one comes to the Father except through me, uh, Jesus said. 
Uh, Romans 1, 2, and 3 give a lot of clear doctrine on how God has revealed himself so that all men are without excuse. He's revealed himself in nature and creation. He's revealed himself in the conscience. He's revealed himself the oracles of God, chapter 3. So uh, he's revealed himself both through natural revelation and special revelation and uh, the salvation doctrine. He goes on to say there in chapter 3 uh, and into 4, uh, was already there in the Old Testament, incidentally. Remember, I mentioned the unity of the Bible, incidentally. Romans 8 has some clear teaching about the Holy Spirit and also how that we are secure in Christ and um, just the blessings we have uh, in being a Christian. Philippians 2 talks about uh, the incarnation, demonstrates, explains that. Second Timothy 3 is uh, the teaching on uh, the Scriptures. Scriptures uh, get it straight, get us straight. They get it right. They're profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, setting us straight, uh, and training in righteousness. And scriptures are inspired by God, uh, ultimately. Colossians 2 in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, He is the God man. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, teaches several clear truths about several different topics. And so our responsibility is to get it right. Some more Bible doctrine than just a summary of what we've learned here. Some of it uh, is um, the qualifications of church leadership, the issue that we need to be studying Bible doctrine. We need to be uh, be concerned about the teaching event, that we're teaching God's word as we preach and teach. We're teaching God's word and we're teaching it, not just using it as a springboard or um, uh, 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 ex- ex- extracting some little nugget out of there to use in a secular motivational speech with a lot of psychological hooey to go along with it. No, you teach God's word. You give it as fresh and clear to God's people today as the apostles gave it the day they wrote it. And you get it right. Again, we have no right to say God said something God did not say. Okay. And, um, there's the qualifications of uh, uh, leaders. There's taking care of widows. There's, uh, um, you know, not having uh, women uh, teachers as far as uh, having authority over uh, the church. Women certainly were given are given a role by God, Titus two, to teach other women and children and uh, and and to do a good job at that. That you have the Christ hymn here, also First Timothy three sixteen. Uh, we're to be careful. And we're commanded to teach and preach 1 Timothy 4, teach uh, God's word clearly. There's even a note to uh, the wealthy Christian in the pastorals here. There's note to pastors that you need to be skillful in your teaching. There's the role of good deeds in the life uh, throughout uh, Titus uh, and and other things we learn through this doctrine of teaching or uh, doctrine throughout the pastoral letters. Okay, so... One more time, God is concerned that we follow the right teachings, the right doctrine, biblical doctrine. It is vitally important. So I, I hope this has been a blessing to you, uh, primarily trying to cover this word teaching or teachers throughout the pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Okay, may the Lord bless you, friends. This is the Bible Professor podcast. Bye-bye.